hope for 18 months I had a lot of hope right I had hope in the Justice Select Committee I had hope in the recommendations I had a lot of hope that's what kept me going for a long time a long long time and I used to tell all my friends that IPPs in here we're going to get somewhere right <clears throat> and they looked at me as that guy that you know the positive guy the one that comes around with all the latest news about IPP I was that person and now I stopped doing all that because what I realised was I was getting their hopes up you know what I mean who am I to do that to them they're going through enough mental strain as it is mental torture who am I to come along and, and give them hope that there's going to be resentencing and nothing changes this is Frank he got an imprisonment for public protection sentence with a two-year and four-month tariff back in 2008 for street robbery. He's been locked up for 15 years and counting. Frank is one of the 1,269 IPP-serving prisoners who have never been released and are running out of hope. It's easy to understand why. They have all served many years over their tariffs and they remain trapped in the system on a discredited sentence that was abolished in 2012. This is Trapped, episode 10. I'm Sam Asamadu and today we're ending this current series by asking what does hope look like for IPP serving prisoners? We will hear more from Frank and from some of those who are at the centre of the campaigning efforts to bring an end to this grievous injustice. The title of this episode was inspired by Roddy Russell, whose brother Robert is one of the IPP prisoners who have never been released. You last heard Roddy in episode 4. He asked me to put this question to Lord Blunkett, the architect of the Imprisonment for Public Protection sentence, who now campaigns against it. In Roddy's words, he says, What does hope look like for me and my brother, and all the families affected by IPP? Here I am with Lord Blunkett back in March 2023. Where or who do we go to next? Hope looks like having this broadcast. Hope looks like constantly reiterating the injustice and the way forward and making that clear that the public can be won over to understanding what's happened and that they do not need to fear taking sensible, balanced steps to ensure that people can get into a situation where, including those on licence, have some hope that they're going to live a normal life. Because if we're passing amendments and they're not being implemented, that's going to reduce the hope and the expectation of change. So we've got to put in place sometimes minor steps that give those in prison, their families, those who have never been released on licence, the hope that there will be a change. Every day I receive letters from IPPs in prison. I mean, it's the one certainty of of my week is that I receive letters from IPPs. The Howard League is one of the leading prison reform charities who put IPPs at the centre of their campaigning efforts. I first met their chief executive, Andrea Coomba, in March 2023. I wanted to meet her again after nearly nine months of campaigning to get her take on the current situation for IPP prisoners. And interestingly enough, I also received letters from other people in prison uh, complaining about IPPs. 
So I had a letter from a man recently who was 65 in prison for the first time for white collar and said, you know, you, you really need to do something about this IPP. <laughs> uh, it wasn't anything to do with him at all. But I think it's widely recognised in, in prisons by everybody, by, by people in the prison, by staff members, by prison governors, to be a disgrace. And oftentimes I'll get people writing to me who are not affected personally by the sentence at all, but have seen what it does to, to their fellow prisoners and, and don't think it's acceptable at all. And, and I spend a lot of time with prison governors who really struggle to manage IPP prisoners because they, they don't have you know, the same sense of, of progression and hope uh, that... I mean, prisons are, are, are pretty short on hope at the best of times, um, but for IPPs, that hope was, was ripped away at the very beginning. A lot of guys lose their heads, you know, um, mentally just broken down right um, some don't have no family support networks and they struggle and they go to the segregation sometimes they find it better in there sometimes they don't sometimes it makes them worse but it's just it's, yeah. it's horrible yeah. it's a sad situation you know you got to remember these officers in the block sometimes mistreat you as well but then you think hold on you know this guy's been in prison for 12 years on a three-year sentence and his heads fell off and like you want to kind of abuse your power by taking a mick out of him and kind of make your time harder but then that's the kind of caliber of staff you have nowadays you know? when you train someone for eight weeks and then you give them a job in prison well you're not you know? how do you keep your strength in there i pray i train um, I'll try and educate my mind because that's what it is, isn't it? Really, you know, they have your body, but they can't take your mind. Once they take your mind, that's it. You know, you'll never be the same again. I talked to one man who just said he had a two-year IPP. He's been for 17 years. He just said, "I've accepted that I'm going to die in here." He's a, a former serviceman. It was just really sad, like just really, really sad. And then others who've been back to the parole board several times, um, and their poor mental health is held against them by the parole board. So the fact that they've they're honest about their mental health struggles, their problems with self-harm, their suicidal thoughts or attempts that's then used as a reason for them not to be released yeah. which seems incredibly unjust and the worst thing i find is that some of the prisoners are so unwell so untrusting that they won't even instruct a lawyer now this is hank rossi a campaigner and activist because they think it's hopeless or that they are almost paranoid to the point of not trusting why would you i mean well, the, 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 i think it becomes a system that you know, for these individuals, but frankly also for me, I mean, I think it starts to lack legitimacy and credibility <laughs> when you're treating people like this for such a prolonged period of time. Fundamentally, you're looking at a bigger injustice, which is that all but like 20 of these people are over tarot. So you got your IPP sentence in 2008. Could you tell us what it was for? It was a street robbery. Got an IPP for it, two years, four months, <coughs> and I've been in 15 years now. Yeah, I remember back in the day when they contacted the victim when, before I was having a parole just to say, look, he's coming up for parole. And the, the victim was like, what do you mean he's coming up for parole? I thought he was out of prison years ago. So they actually thought I'd done my time. You know. so this came up at one of your parole sentences. They contacted the, the person. Yeah, they contacted 
contact the victim just to let them know, you know, that this is gonna it's coming up for parole. And then they let them know if you've had your decal, you've been released, etc. And the victim was like, well, I thought he was out of prison years ago. I didn't know he was still locked up. You know, when we're talking about IPP, I was thinking it could almost be like the cruelest TV reality show ever created. It's almost like the Stanford <coughs> experiment. You know, we're going to put you in prison. We're not going to tell you how long. Do you think you have the capacity not to go mad and not to kill yourself? My name is Simon Hatton Stone. I've worked at the Guardian newspaper or media group for about 33 years now. and. My day job is interviewing well-known people from politicians to sports people to musicians and my kind of obsession is justice and miscarriages of justice. I'm still absolutely perplexed by IPP and why people haven't been released. Now, A, it's a bonkers sentence. You know, to put people in prison indeterminately or whatever it is, up to 99 years, for crimes that wouldn't and don't deserve life sentences, often incredibly petty crimes, such as stealing a mobile phone. That's absolutely absurd to start with, but then you've got the idea that it was outlawed 12 years ago. The guy who created it, David Blunkett, said it was a huge mistake. He sounds tortured when he's speaking about it. In fact, I think on your programme, he, he sounded almost as if he was about to break into tears when he was asked what impact it had on him. So if you've got the biggest stain on democracy, you get rid of it. And if you've got a sentence that is not good enough for people going into prison now, then it's not good enough for people who are in prison now. It's not as if there was a huge problem before IPP was introduced. IPP created a huge problem. So we're creating this monster that doesn't exist of what the hell would we do with these people who've served their sentences double, triple, quadruple, ten times if they were released. I mean, you've been covering IPP or imprisonment for public protection in The Guardian for a number of years. Have you seen the discourse change over time and are editors more receptive to publishing articles or news about IPPs? I think maybe. I mean, we've not done huge amounts on IPP. I've not done as much as I would have liked to have done. I think there's more awareness of it, thanks to a podcast like this. But I still think in journalism, including The Guardian, prisons and justice aren't seen as sexy. And there might be a period of a few weeks where we're going to have a prison special, which is what we've done, and we've had the special, but then we've done it. And the thing with IPP is you could take any one of the stories and turn it as you've done, into, you turn it into 40 minute broadcasts, we could turn it into 4,000 word pieces because they are unbelievable. And as soon as you tell those stories, people are interested. And so I would say part of the problem is getting the media interested and saying it is worth spending this amount of paper and giving this amount of resources to covering it. And I think we, in a way like politicians do, kind of the media also does, you know, we assume the worst of people. And yeah, there are people who don't care and there are people who think they don't care. But if you tell a story with enough humanity, you know, most people do care. 98% of IPP-serving prisoners who have never been released are past their tariff expiry date. 
55% of those are more than 10 years over their tariff. Every crime has a victim, right? And when you go to prison, you pay your dues, you do your time, and you come out, right? And this sentence doesn't let people do that, right? <clears throat> you, you come to prison, you do your time over and over and over again. The victim has been given their justice. I'm in prison, the victim has had justice. I've caused that victim psychological harm, etc. Right? I've acknowledged that. I've done my time. Then keeping me in prison for longer and longer and longer, it goes beyond justice. Now we're starting to go into the realms of torture. Now we've, we've gone past that now. We're in a different we're in a different realm. Now now you're just here to psychologically torture me and break me down. This is not justice. It's not rehabilitation. I have to rehabilitate myself. Every individual come to an age in their life where they say, I want better for myself and I want to change. A course will not do that for you. A prison officer won't do that for you. That, that comes from within, inside, as an individual. You will make that decision yourself. In November 2023, in a flurry of media headlines, Alex Chalk announced that he was changing the licence conditions for IPPs as part of the Victims and Prisoners Bill. The changes were voted through in the House of Commons on the 6th of December. The Justice Select Committee published IPP sentence, their IPP sentence report in September 2022 and I thank them for their valuable insights. One of their recommendations was to reduce the qualifying period at which an IPP prisoner in the community is referred to the parole board for consideration of licence termination from 10 to 5 years. I'm pleased to say that, upon reflection, our amendment that we are proposing today will reduce this period from 10 to 3 years, which we believe strikes an appropriate balance. It will also introduce a provision where, for IPP offenders who've reached the three-year qualifying period and the parole board has not already directed the licence be terminated, the Secretary of State must direct the IPP licence ceases to have effect after a further two years of continuous good behaviour in the community. This is defined as not being recalled to prison in this time. Second Amendment will remove clause 33 brackets 5 from the bill to decouple the test... The reduction of the licence from 10 years to a three-year qualifying period is a welcome change as there were 19 suicides of people serving IPP sentences in the community between 2020 and 2022. And once enacted, this will be the biggest reform to the IPP sentence in over a decade. However, all campaign groups have said that the proposed change does not go far enough. Crucially, it doesn't address the group of just under 1,500 IPP-serving prisoners like Frank, who have never been released. Uh, it's kind of a vicious cycle, isn't it? The politicians still, even if the media is, or the mainstream media is, less powerful than it was 10, 20 years ago, they're still terrified of the male and the sun. Politicians on the whole don't give a shit about liberal papers like The Guardian or The Indy. I mean, it's quite interesting now. Labour have basically stopped talking to The Guardian at the moment. All they're interested in is talking to The Telegraph and The Times and not offending them. So, I mean, IPP is a pawn in various bids to get elected. If we're moving into an election where Labour get in, I would very much hope that they would be prepared, you know, like Lord Blunkett has recognised his role um, in the IPP sentence, that they'd be willing to 
reverse the injustice that they brought in. But that might not happen. Yeah. And look, my hope has been that the, sec the current Secretary of State for Justice will decide it should be part of his legacy. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, getting rid of the licence, bringing down the licence rather, would be part of that, but not going far enough. So we, we really need to appeal to people's sense of, of justice. I suspect that that kind of worry still that there might be one IPP who goes on to commit a serious offence will be enough to decide to lock the rest of them up. I mean, it's completely outrageous, but I think there's a real risk aversion. Where is the sort of institutional inertia coming from, or what, what is the barrier? Um, I think it comes from a, a greater concern about being tough on crime which is ridiculous because most of these people haven't committed a crime in a very long time. So I think, I think it, it's part of that kind of being tough on the criminals dialogue. I think it comes from a, a concern about what, whether anybody would re-offend, even though we, we again know the evidence shows that they're really unlikely to re-offend. And then I think it comes from a lack of courage, fundamentally, because to be able to overcome those, those kind of public hurdles or political hurdles, you need to be courageous and to say this is the right thing to do. You can't lock 3,000 people up because one of them might commit some kind of offence. Everything is also completely overdetermined now by the glide path into the next general election. So in one sense this is probably a really good time for a government and a Justice Secretary who, frankly, a year from now probably won't be Justice Secretary, to do something which might go down in the history books. But it's also a really bad time to try to get anything done which might appear to be potentially not Daily Mail friendly. So I'm Richard Garside. I'm the director of the Centre for Crime and Justice Studies. I think one of the things sometimes we do in campaigning, and I'm sure I've been guilty of this at times, is you exaggerate the nature of the problem for effect, you know, and to get the headlines. Uh, but with IPP, you don't need to exaggerate. All you need to do is just say it as it is. And it's so outrageous that I think most people, when they hear about IPP, think, my goodness, is that, that can't be true. I asked Richard Garside to elaborate on a quote he had made about the Justice Secretary, Alex Chalk, in relation to his approach on IPPs. I said that the Justice Secretary was almost in the role of organisational psychopath because he was acknowledging he was acknowledging the harm and the problem, but was entirely emotionally disconnected from it, from actually the implications of what he was saying. So it's almost like he was dissociating from his own remarks. But it wasn't a personal failing. I mean, it may have been personal failing on his part, but that's not fundamentally what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is why it is that someone who I'm sure is a perfectly decent person, you know, perfectly capable of having the full range of emotions, but confront up an institution and a set of institutional processes which are profoundly harmful and damaging, whilst actually not really acknowledging that's kind of a problem that needs to be solved. It's just, yes, well, it's a terrible injustice. Nothing we can do about it. Well, I mean, he's a justice secretary, for goodness sake. Of course he can do something about it. Richard, what do you think historically are the barriers to change for IPPs? I think that the barriers to change at the moment are, are many, which doesn't mean that change isn't possible, and we've seen it. But certainly for sure, the sort of the inherent conservative nature of the civil service and the way that it operates is definitely part of the problem. The electoral algebra, as it were, and the fact that we are, you know, we have a government that, you know, unless something very strange happens, um, is cruising for a significant electoral defeat. And so, you know, that, and led by a prime minister who 
frankly, is, doesn't have very good political antenna in many ways. So I think there's probably a number of different things going on. But yeah, I mean, the Ministry of Justice is, you know, if you're looking for kind of creative, imaginative, exciting thinking, the Ministry of Justice is not the place to look for it. A welcome intervention into the IPP's campaign in 2023 came from the Independent Monitoring Board, known as IMBs, who in May 2023 wrote a high-profile report that highlighted that there had been a record number of suicides by IPP prisoners in 2022, and three more in the four weeks following the government's rejection of the Justice Committee recommendations for resentencing. So my name's Elizabeth Davis. I'm National Chair of the Independent Monitoring Boards, which are often referred to as the IMBs. I met the National Chair of the IMBs to find out more. We are made up of over a thousand unpaid volunteers operating in every prison in England and Wales and every immigration detention facility across the UK. The IMB report in May 2023, Mm. there'd been a record number of suicides for IPP prisoners in 2022, three more in the four weeks following the government's rejection of the Justice Committee's recommendation resentencing. So do you hold the government's actions accountable for this? Yeah, I mean, that's what we're seeking to do. I mean, we have been set up as an independent monitoring board, so we are part of the scrutiny process that exists. We are the eyes and ears of the local community. And, you know, we know that from IMBs that they're expressing their concerns about the high rate of self-harm among IPP prisoners. I asked Elizabeth how much of a priority IPPs were to the Independent Monitoring Board's efforts at present. So IPPs will absolutely remain at the forefront of a lot of the concerns and the work of individual IMBs because they are dealing with those kind of prisoners on a daily basis who are dealing with the consequences of IPPs. So the first message there is it will remain firmly on my agenda. We are part of an external stakeholder challenge group that the Ministry of Justice has kind of set up along with the likes of UNGRIP and other colleagues and we are now absolutely working hard within the auspices of that group I think to kind of really critique the action plans to really call for more change to make sure that those changes are implemented sooner and that's what we're doing but for me the key thing that I can do is always make sure that I'm going back to the data and the evidence that I can get through local IMBs and moving beyond opinion which is absolutely clear which I think kind of unites us all we're all clear about the validity of IPP sentences but what I can bring is data and evidence to that picture and that's what I need to continue to do. Elizabeth had only been in her role a few weeks when I met her but her predecessor Dame Anne Owers had previously come out in support of resentencing IPP prisoners as a way to put an end to their indefinite detention. I asked Elizabeth if she too supported resentencing as a solution to end the IPP injustice. Most people, if you found out about IPP sentences, would be appalled. And that's what we have to kind of keep going back to, is we have to think about how can we move to a situation whereby we get the resentencing, which everybody has agreed to. There may be some individual barriers, but we have to find a way of moving beyond that. And we need to not rest on this, any of us, collectively as well. How do you think resentencing the IPP prisoners would work in practice? The Justice Select Committee's recommendation for resentencing was not to let all IPP prisoners out tomorrow. It was to set up a small expert body on how resentencing could work, bringing in judicial expertise into that process. So 
I think we've got a really viable solution here. And resentencing is something that absolutely IMB is supportive of. Nobody has ever said that resentencing will be easy. Prison Reform Trust, the Justice Select Committee, kind of others have all absolutely come out and said this is kind of a complex and nuanced process, and we all get that. But it has to happen. What would be the problem if they were all released immediately? Isn't it a matter of just having the resources there, the psychological support and, and accommodation to actually help them? Because it's, I know with the yeah. legal appeal we mentioned earlier, he, he left that same day and then he's got accommodation, he's got work and so yeah. on. And people have worked yeah. well, tens of years. This that. is about a real balance, isn't it? And there'll be people listening to your podcast who are dealing with the consequences of crime. And, you know, this is a balance between justice, between public protection. You know, so this isn't about simply releasing everybody. And I would not be in favour of that. And I don't think IMBs are in favour of that. And we're not saying that. But we're saying that there is resentencing that can be done. And we're saying with the right people, cross-party support, judicial input, you can resentence these people safely and fairly. And that's safely for themselves as well as kind of safely for communities. Because one of the concerns with all of this is that there is the danger that we are criminalising mental health. And we can't do that. We can't have people imprisoned because they have mental health issues. We've got to make sure that those people are in the right place to get better and be treated properly. Most reporting I've read and in interviews I've conducted with politicians and campaigners have been careful to reiterate that a resentencing exercise wouldn't mean that prisoners would all be immediately released. I wanted to know why prisoners with support outside couldn't just be released. After all, this was a sentence abolished in 2012. I asked Richard for his thoughts. What does it mean to make a revolutionary demand in a time like this? You know, I mean, saying that, you know, no child should go hungry, which, you know, a generation ago would have been a kind of, a, yeah, of course, now is on the border of being a revolutionary demand. So the notion that people who are in prison beyond their tariff, particularly for something like IPP, should just be released feels like a revolutionary demand but it's really not i mean it's a pretty mundane and frankly rather modest demand is it not the push for resentencing ipp prisoners has been well underway since the justice select committee issued its recommendations for ipps back in september 2022 in March 2023, the chair of the committee, Sir Bob Neill, announced he was tabling an amendment to get the primary recommendation for resentencing IPP prisoners through Parliament. This is not about an immediate opening of the prison gates. What it does, it's much more considered and modest than that, is it sets to set up a process whereby an independent panel would advise on how best to embark upon a resentencing exercise. That is an unusual thing, but the existence of the IPP sentences, retrospectively and without any change, is an unusual thing too. It was recommended to us as the logical option by... On the Monday the 6th of November 2023, at the third reading of the Victims and Prisoners Bill, Sir Bob Neill was met with opposition by both Labour and the Conservatives in the House of Commons for his amendment. Unfortunately, following the impact of the, this government's destruction, effectively the criminal justice system, we lack the levels of infrastructure and resources to keep the public safe. Here's Labour's Kevin Brennan, Shadow Minister for Victims and Sentencing. Should his new clause be immediately implemented, 
Our priority is and always must be the safety of the British public. And we are concerned that if uh, his amendment were enacted without provisioning for significant improvements in probation and parole, we'd significantly increase the risk potentially to the public and to the prisoners themselves. So Bob Neill withdrew resentencing IPPs from being tabled for a vote. It will now go to the House of Lords for consideration. I very much hope uh, that the other House will look at this again and that the government will continue to engage with them around this because it would not lead to an immediate release of anybody. It would set in place so a train to enable everyone to be given a determinate sentence. And that seems to me only fair and just. Whilst the Conservatives' hard line on resentencing isn't surprising, Labour coming out against it came as more of a surprise, given the support from high-profile Labour MPs like John McDonnell and Ellie Reeves. We must avoid at all costs the future of these prisoners becoming a political football. Here is Ellie Reeves speaking back in April 2023. And it is on this basis I say today that if the government is willing to bring forward meaningful proposals on how to solve this situation, Labour will engage with them in a constructive cross-party way. I'm tired of the focus on you know, how risky and how violent all of these people are because you know, there are a lot of people in prison, a lot of people in the community who are risky and violent, and we don't lock them all up. Mm. Um, you know, it, is a, it has become a form of preventive detention. Beyond that, there is just the ravages of the actual sentence and what that does for people sense of justice and confidence and trust in the system and you know, there's no reason why any person serving an IPP should have anything but disdain for the system. Do you think that there should be a different release test for IPP prisoners? And would that be a solution going forward? Yeah, that would definitely be something that should be explored because the risks associated with the IPP sentence are just different. With other people who were released, it's very clear what they, their index offence was, the time they've been sentenced to, what their sentence plan had been, how they've progressed, what progress they've made, all that stuff. Whereas for IPPs, it's just incredibly unclear and I think that there needs to be an adjustment for that and I think it's very difficult I know from talking to IPP prisoners like it's very difficult for them to really know what they're meant to say to the parole board <laughs> even when they're properly legally represented like how how what buttons do they press do they tell the truth do they lie you know they don't want to do those things I mean they're, they're put in an invidious position and some of them don't have great mental health and they say silly things I was talking to one person recently I was a sister of somebody and apparently he started in the parole board hearing talking about COVID being designed in a Chinese lab and you know in the end solicitor sort of said like that he just shouldn't say crazy stuff like that and you know that's that may well be thought in some, some people to be crazy uh, but there are plenty of people in the community who think that so, by the way, do you have family outside? Are you still in touch with family? Yeah, well, it's just monotonous, you know. It's monotonous. The conversations and everything is just... When my wife's on pause, I'm here, I'm on pause. My day is Grand Talk Day. So, therefore, <laughs> the conversation has become limited. Unless it's like a family event or something that's going on, everything's the same. Do you know what I mean? So, and I've missed so much. I've missed so much. Look, I'm, I'm like a stranger in my own family. Another amendment to the Victims and Prisoners Bill designed to help IPPs has been tabled by Labour MP John McDonnell. When we talk about victims, it's important that we, have, we take upon our responsibility 
for discussing also the victims of Parliament's activities as well. And some of the victims of Parliament's activities are the IPP prisoners. Wayne Bell served 16 years on a two-year tariff. Aaron Graham, 18 years on a three-year tariff. These, this is Kafka S. These people have committed relatively minor offences, trapped within the prison system and cannot, cannot get out. What we need to do now is to take forward the right honourable members proposals and if, it's, if the government are not satisfied with them at the moment, let's work on them until we go in the House of Lords and see what we can do in the other place. In addition to that, I put a minor amendment forward saying at least let's offer those prisoners, both inside but also those on licence as well, advocacy and mentoring so that at least they prepare themselves properly for resettlement and release both from prison but also when they're outside so they're not recalled as they are on, the, on scale at the moment. This amendment proposes a scheme of IPP advocates and mentors who would provide assistance with formulating release plans and support IPPs at parole and upon release. I spoke to two of the people involved with writing the amendment. My name is Lorna Hackett. I am a barrister at Hackett and Dabbs LLP and a tenant at Millennium Chambers. If you deal with prisoners on a day-to-day -day basis, you cannot help but be passionate about the IPP crisis and the IPP situation. Because, you know, we have uh, IPP action plans, which the government falls back on saying, well, you know, we've amended the action plan, it's going really well, you know, we're going we're to give additional support and we're really pushing to, to help these people but is it enough and in my view it isn't and that's why we proposed the amendment so this is really to help to give people practical support in advance of a parole hearing during a parole hearing if it is needed and then once they're on license because so many IPPs when they actually if they're successful at the parole board they'll go into an approved premise or they will go into, the, uh, into other accommodation in the community and then what's the support for them and so the whole idea of the IPP advocate and mentor scheme is to be a point of contact for those people at this critical vulnerable stage it's about getting an independent mentor and advocate, not lawyer, to come into the prison, to work with that person, to really focus on what they need and their, their trauma, their mental health needs, their drug addictions, whatever, whatever it happens to be, so that when they get to the parole board, this is a properly formulated release plan. And do you think uh, the advocate will be able to encourage people who've stopped completely engaging in the parole process to intervene at that stage because these people are so hopeless? That would be my hope, yes, because that, that's the other thing. No criticism to probation officers or to, to lawyers, but it's, it's simply not their job to do these practical things. And you might have somebody on the outside, so you know, a friend, um, a, a family member or a partner who's able to help with this. But it's actually getting IPPs to realise that, that there is a point to engaging because you have got that additional support. Because they do need extra resources. It's a particular type of crisis for these individuals. This is possibly the final opportunity for some time to deal with this problem in a legislative way. If, if not now, then when? There's a bill before Parliament with prisoners in the title. If you don't take that opportunity, there's no guarantee that there'll be another bill that would enable these changes to be made to come forward any time soon. My name is Alexander Horn. Uh, I'm a barrister and visiting professor at Durham University. Uh, I previously worked as a lawyer in Parliament for about 20 years. Now it may be that what we see is that this is first raised in the House of Commons and the government is reluctant 
Um, but the good thing with our Parliament is that the two chambers mean that this can come back in the House of Lords, where I think that there is real and serious support uh, for making fundamental changes. And whereas resentencing may take a while to get off the ground, I think that the amendment that we've proposed relating to mentors and advocates could be started pretty much immediately and could start giving help to people on the ground. At the end of August 2023, in a rare intervention into UK affairs, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Torture, Dr Alice Edwards, wrote to the Ministry of Justice, highlighting the impact of the IPP sentence on the mental health of prisoners and reminding the government of their human rights obligations. This is one of the most scandalous stories in the British justice system in a long while. The psychological effects on the individuals would amount, in my opinion, depending on an individual assessment, to psychological torture. The most interesting and, uh, I would say, sort of high-profile intervention recently is the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, who came in, and now we've got mainstream media reporting on torture sentences. But the rapporteur coming, coming in and talking about torture and inhumane and degrading treatment and psychological torture really has put a spotlight on this really unbelievable injustice that people have been suffering for such a long time. You know, it's not law, what the UN rapporteur has said, but you know, we are currently where we are. The, that's why we put together this amendment to see where, I know I keep banging on about the amendment, but that's, you know, this is, Having looked at the whole range of what's available, this is the quickest and hopefully the most practical and compassionate way forwards for people. While the IPP Advocate Scheme has been suggested in good faith, it hasn't been met with universal support from campaigners, some of whom think it will just increase the levels of bureaucracy around IPPs and take the focus away from the key need, which is resentencing this cohort, to give them an end to their torture. Do Alex and Lorna agree? I think that there will be a big push, particularly in the House of Lords, to get both of these amendments looked at and, and to bring this to an end. And, and without the resentencing, there's not going to be a clear endpoint because even with our amendment, it's only really helping you know individual people to to get out. There needs to be a definitive endpoint to this as well, which the resentencing would achieve. With the current lack of meaningful change for IPPs, many campaigners are calling for a public inquiry into this scandal to establish facts, to learn lessons so that mistakes aren't repeated, and to determine accountability. An inquiry could also examine the need for criminal or civil reparations. I asked Lorna what she thought about this idea. There should be an inquiry into IPP a statutory government inquiry into how we got to this point, the basis on which, in the name of public protection, things were done at a very early stage which were not properly resourced, not properly researched, and not properly consulted upon. Let's make some noise. Let's actually try and get people inside to hear what we're saying. So if you can repeat after me. Brick by brick, wall by wall, IPP has got to fall. Brick by brick, wall by wall, Whilst all this is being played out in Parliament's corridors of power, grassroots campaigners continue to push for change in their way. I recorded this footage of a protest outside Belmarsh Prison in September 2023. We're here today to call for the total abolition of IPP. It was supposedly abolished in 2012. But at least 3,000 prisoners remain imprisoned indefinitely 
under IPP. Even though IPP has been condemned by the Parliamentary Justice Committee and the United Nations on torture. 3,000 prisoners still remain in jail with no hope of release. Many of them committing suicide, many of them self-harming because they've no hope of ever being released, particularly in the current political climate. So what does hope look like, Simon? Hope for me would be talking to people in, say, 10 years' time, saying, we had this system that was called IPP. It meant you could go in prison for nicking a mobile phone, get 18 months, and you didn't know when you were released. And people went so mad with it that they ended up killing themselves. And the people would say, you're bloody joking. They didn't used to have that, did they? And you'd say, yeah, it's unbelievable, but they did have that 10 years ago. And like we don't believe it now sometimes, we wouldn't believe it then, but at least would be talking about a past horror. And this is what it has been and continues to be, a horror. The fact that 12 years after its abolition, we're still talking about it now, it's crazy. It doesn't make any sense on any level. Andrea, what does hope look like? I think hope looks like a, a path out of the wilderness. And at the moment, IPPs don't have that path. They, all they have is wilderness. And so I think it looks like a kind of cottage down a path with a roaring fire and some marshmallows and a clear route to that path where, where people get released. That's fundamentally what needs to happen and that they get supported on release and that they can spend time with their families and loved ones and enjoy what the rest of their life can look like and start planning for the future. Hope is important for the people under the sentence in the community and in prison and their families but I think it's also important for the system as a whole because I think it's, I mean, it's such a blot on our justice system that it undermines the credibility and legitimacy of it. For now, despite all the politicking and campaigning aimed at making changes, nearly 3,000 IPPs remain trapped in prison and their lives continue in a state of limbo. These are people whom we've featured in this series, like Thomas, Aaron, Robert, Abdullahi, and of course Frank. So let's give the final word to Frank, who is keen to remind us all how ultimately Alex Chalk, as the current Secretary of State for Justice, holds the key to finally putting an end to the suffering of these IPP prisoners and their families. Really and truly, you should just be like, okay, cool. You know what? We're not winning the next general election. So how about, not as an MP, not as a Justice Secretary, as a lawyer, as a man of the law, I apply some 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 compassion here and just re-sentence these people and then maybe I can leave some sort of legacy that I, I saved people and I helped people and helped their families. Thank you for listening to Trapped, the IPP prisoner scandal. This is the end of Series 1 of Trapped, but we'll be reporting on any important changes in the future. In the meantime, if you want to do something, you can write to your MPs about IPP injustice. You can also sign the petition supporting resentencing IPP prisoners that has been started by campaigners on the government's petition website. Search Resentencing for Everyone Serving an Indeterminate Prison Sentence for more info and a link. I'm Sama Samadu. 
This series producer is Steve Language, the executive producer is Melissa Fitzgerald, and the series consultant is Hank Rossi. You can find us on X, Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok at trapped underscore pod. And please follow us for any new updates in the future.